Thank you so much for your good singing today. Let's open our Bibles uh, this morning to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. The book of Joshua. Thank you. Joshua chapter 1. I'd like to talk to you this morning about leaving the past for a life in the future. Uh, this is always a, a great Sunday to do that. Everybody's thinking about, boy, I'm glad we made it through last year. Uh, I hope this year could be... We read these words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I will give to them and the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you, as I said to the Lord. Here we find that God says, I want to give you the dimensions of the land that I've promised you. This is really a, a reaffirmation of uh, promises given in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you, uh, as I said to Moses. And here we find the dimensions. From the wilderness and, and the, this Lebanon, that's in the north. Whenever several of our people take a trip to Israel, they'll, they'll go up north and they'll see Lebanon. They'll actually be able to look over uh, into Lebanon. As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, that's uh, to the east, that's Iraq. All the land of the Hittites to the great city, that's the Mediterranean. Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Many Bible scholars say that Israel never has uh, occupied all the land that God gave them to here in the, this title deed. Uh, but one of, the, one of these days they certainly will. Amen. When the Lord comes back to set Israel at, uh, at a, the place of preeminence that they deserve in the world. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Uh, this is a promise from God to his people. Uh, it's good for you and I always to remember this, no matter what we go through in life. Uh, as my 99-year-old mother taught me when I was just a young kid, Johnny, uh, everybody will let you down in life. No matter who they are, no matter what organization it is, they'll all let you down. But Jesus never will. He will be with you through every step of the journey. And here he says, listen, I will not leave you or forsake you. This is interesting to me in verse 6. It says, be, be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do. And I, I, I want you to underline or circle the word to do because that's really important. Uh, we need courage to do what God wants us to do in life. It takes a lot of courage sometimes. And so he says, listen, be strong, be very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. I remember many years ago when I was just reading these passages for the first time. And I came upon those words prosperity, and, and we'll see in a minute uh, the word success. I, I had to say to myself, you know, this is God's idea of what prosperity and success really is right here. It's doing his will in life. It's doing what he tells us to do. And he says, listen, you're going to be pr 
prosper wherever you go. It doesn't matter where you go, what your circumstances are. In my eyes, I'm going to view you as a prosperous person. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You shall assimilate it, digest it, that you may observe again. Notice the words. What are they? To do. According to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The Word of God is a a wonderful thing. It makes the difference in whether you and I am successful or not. Uh, I love uh, Psalm 19 because it's all about the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By giving heed according to the Word of God. How can we keep the next generation going in, the, in a proper direction by the word of the Lord. That's how. Verse number 11 in 119 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Uh, whenever we have God's word in our mind and in our heart, it fortifies us, it protects us. And then in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In this dark world, the the word of God takes us through. It gives us direction. And so he says to Joshua here, listen, in order for you to be prosperous and successful in life, you have to meditate on on my word. And then in verse 9 he says, Have I not commanded you be strong and, and be of good courage? Do not be afraid. You know, even courageous people need to be encouraged. You know that? Uh, there's uh, in, in life, uh, it becomes oftentimes very discouraging and, and fearful. And so he says, listen, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's all it took. Joshua uh, picked up the mantle of Moses and he walked into the future. Uh, I'm here today to tell you that uh, God wants all of us to, uh, to enjoy the past but leave the past and go on into the future. Uh, One of the key verses in the Bible is Philippians 3.13. Paul said, listen, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, striving for those things in the future. Paul said, don't look at me as the epitome of what you should do. I haven't apprehended yet. I haven't achieved, achieved the goals that God has set out for me yet. But I'm, but I'm trying to achieve by, by closing the door on the past and opening the door of the future. You know, it's the beginning of the new year, and it's always a good time to chart a new course, to shake the dust off and uh, look around and, uh, and to set new goals, especially spiritual ones. You know, I think the Holy Spirit is always trying to get you and me uh, to, uh, to a greater vision, really, of what we could be in Christ, to take us beyond that vision, to actually experience the vision that sometimes we have cherished in our heart but never realized. Probably in this church today there are people that uh, many years ago when you accepted the Lord you, you were so excited and thrilled and you had such aspirations. And uh, because of the troubles of life you let, uh, you let those troubles kind of quench your vision. Well, I want to encourage you to revive your vision today, okay? The Holy Spirit wants to take you way beyond where you are in a spiritual sense. Now, he needs your cooperation. He doesn't do it by force, you know. He has to have your cooperation. Uh, He wants to take you. You know, 
in our church and in every meeting like this, there are people who need redemption, deliverance. And we're going to talk about that in a minute from the book of Exodus. Uh, but there are many people in our church that need revival, I think. Uh, revival is important. You know, there are times in our life when we're so alive spiritually and then we begin to take shortcuts. And every time you take those spiritual shortcuts, uh, we become discouraged. We lose the joy of our salvation. And, uh, and we need a spiritual awakening. We need revival in our heart. And, and a revival is a wonderful thing. And so you're sitting here today and you're saying, hey, that's me. I think I need a revival. Well, uh, that's, that's common. There are other times, and there's another group of people in our church, and they just need to continue going in the positive direction that they're going in. They don't need a revival. Uh, they're, they're going in a good direction. Revival is when you regress, uh, when you need to kind of turn around from regression and go again in the right direction. You know, the Old Testament, someone likened the Old Testament to kindergarten. I remember someone wrote the book, Everything I Wanted to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. But uh, in a sense, the Old Testament is like kindergarten. And the reason why they say it is because, because God painted so many pictures in the Old Testament that found their reality in the New Testament. Um, you know, if you go downstairs in our preschool, in the preschool rooms, they're covered with pictures. Right, Terry? I mean, and in our little Sunday school classes, pictures are everywhere. You go into a college classroom, there's not a picture on the wall. It's as sterile as anything you've ever seen. Uh, and the, in the Old Testament, we have all these terrific stories that God created and, and preserved for us in the Old Testament. Pictures. An old Chinese proverb said one time that one picture is worth over 10,000 words. Uh, and so God paints all these pictures in the Old Testament. And, uh, and you've asked yourself probably from time to time, why are there so many cool, neat stories in the Old Testament? Well, in the book of Corinthians, the Bible says they were written for our example. They were for our training and for us to learn from. We call these typology or types. A type is a person, a thing, an event, or an institution in the Old Testament that it anticipates a further revelation in the New Testament. Uh, John the Baptist uh, spoke in types. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Everybody knows what a lamb looks like. Uh, Jesus applied the manna as a type of himself. And so with that in our mind, let's turn back to the book of Exodus, please, with me this morning. Exodus chapter 1. And hold your place here in, uh, in Joshua. Exodus chapter 1, down in verse number 11. Let's see the, uh, the condition of, of Israel in Egypt. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their heavy burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were, they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. These people were slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. This was the position of the nation of Israel in bondage. Uh, and and if, you, if you do the typology thing on this passage of Scripture, it comes out like this. Uh, Egypt is a type of the world, uh, robbing people of their dignity, robbing people of their freedom. 
And Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 4 says Satan is the god of this world. Pharaoh was the god of his world back in that day. The world is a, at a state of war with God and his people and has always been that way. Why? Why did, it, why did Egypt come down so hard on Israel? Well, one of the several reasons was, of course, is they were nonconformist. They would not be conformed to the standard of the world. They would not let the world dictate how they lived. They, have, they refused to assimilate into the mainstream of Egypt. They were separate. Uh, they were the solitary voice in that world for monotheism as compared to the polytheistic philosophy of Egypt. And so the Egyptians hated the Israelis for this. There was no future there for them, and they kept heaping upon them uh, terrible persecution. And so there was no hope for them down in Egypt, and that's why we have the exodus. The nation of Israel, they, they, they were praying and praying and praying to God, and God heard their prayers and sent to them Moses to deliver them. And they came out of Egypt, the exodus. And, you know, that's the first step in the new year. Uh, there are people uh, that you and I know, and, and uh, they can never enjoy the promised land before they come out of Egypt. They have to be delivered. Uh, John put it this way in the New Testament. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he that does the will of God remains forever. Don't love the world. Whenever you come to Exodus chapter 1 here, you find that these people were unable to redeem themselves. They had no way out. But if you look with me over in chapter 2, verse 24, quickly. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God heard their prayer. These people were slaves of Pharaoh and his system. Sin always leads to slavery and death. It always does. The world advertises freedom, but specializes in slavery and death. You know, you just look at all the advertisements that we have. Come and do this. Feel good with us. Do this and it'll be great. Uh, you'll be accepted. You'll be part of the group. Well, uh, these people in, in the typology of this realized that, listen, uh, in the world there was no place for them. And then God finally found a way by means of substitution, the blood of the Lamb. And so God is, begins to paint his picture back in there. The way of salvation would be by blood. This is not salvation without a price, but salvation by, not salvation by prayer and fasting, but salvation by substitution. And God begins to paint this tremendous picture uh, for them and for the nation of Israel. Uh, they needed a blood substitute in order to be delivered. And so we do today as well. Uh, they needed a personal lamb. Turn over to Genesis or Exodus, please, chapter 12, just for a minute. And I want to show you something here. It's interesting that whenever they began to gather the lambs, there were, there were actually hundreds of thousands of them, really, but whenever God was painting this picture, now remember, the Old Testament is filled with pictures. Uh, 
uh, he says something to me that seems very interesting. Verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Singular. A lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. A lamb. Verse 4 says, And if the household is too small for the lamb, then look up at verse number 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from your goats. Even though there were hundreds of thousands of lambs slain on the Passover, we find that God, in painting his picture, refers to a lamb, the lamb, and your lamb. Well, this all comes to fruition, of course, in Jesus. It really does. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, I think we have that. Let's, let's read this together. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Uh, God is painting the picture back there in the Old Testament. Listen, a lamb, the lamb, your lamb, and all of a sudden in the New Testament, the lamb of God shows up. Their personal lamb introduced by John the Baptist in John 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Egypt, there was, uh, there was no turning back. You know the story. Um, they, left, they left quickly, and they, uh, they started their exodus. And it's so interesting to me to look back at the people that I've known that have started an exodus out of the world and how they've been going for many years, and they haven't turned back. Now, Satan wants to take us back, but God wants us to never go back to where we were before. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'd like to show you a few verses here this morning. Luke chapter 22, verse number 31. The Lord has a very special ministry for Simon, uh, but Satan is trying to derail him here. And so in verse number 31 of Luke 22, the scripture says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Uh, we derive from the book of Job that Satan has access to the throne of God. He is the accuser of the brethren. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, listen, uh, I want Simon back. The word ask there means uh, I ask him back for myself. I want him back for me. Satan has asked for you that you, he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. Whenever the people were leaving the nation of Israel, remember, they didn't get out without being haunted and hunted. Remember, they all headed out, and Pharaoh changed his mind, and he sent, uh, he sent his demons after them. Go get them and bring them back. I believe that whenever a Christian decides to follow the Lord and walk with him, uh, Satan marks them out and tries to get them back. Have you experienced that in your life? I know you have. Uh, Satan comes after you and puts all sorts of doubts in your mind, all sorts of questions in your mind, all sorts of obstacles in your way, and you begin to sometimes think, boy, this journey is too hard. I think I'll just go back. Uh, he wants us back. But, uh, but God wants us to leave Egypt on a permanent basis. He wants us to close the door on the past. 
Uh, remember, all the demons died in the Red Sea trying to catch them as they left. They, uh, they were carrying a vision in their heart of the Canaan land. They wanted to enjoy the richness of it. And so, you know the story. Uh, they faltered at a critical point and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then we come to the book of Joshua. If you're here today and you've never left the world and you've, you need to be redeemed, uh, there's only one way that you can be redeemed, and that's through the blood of Jesus, through the forgiveness that Christ has provided for you on the cross. Uh, but then, for those of us, which I'm sure is the majority in our church this morning, um, we need to go into the promised land. This means the life that God has planned for you. Um, God raises up people who go in and lead others in as well. And Joshua is one of those individuals. And so we're going to look back now at the book of Joshua. Joshua is a Hebrew, Hebrew word corresponding to the Greek word Jesus. His life has been forged by hardship. He was born in Egypt. Um, the great thing about hardship is his hardship didn't harden him but softened him. He's about 80 years old. It's amazing. Whenever Moses was 80, God tapped him on the shoulder and said, listen, you need to go into the ministry. And I'm sure that uh, that was uh, kind of a struggle. And now Joshua is 80 years old. And he says, now, Joshua, it's time for you to take over. Uh, Moses uh, is 120. He just died. You're one of the younger generation. And so you take over now. He's about 80 years old. And in verse number Verse number one here in Joshua 1, the Bible says that he was Moses' assistant. He was a servant. How do, we, how, do we go into the, how do we go into the promised land and take others with us? Well, I think we need to have some of these characteristics that Joshua had. He was faithful in the service of Moses. He was Moses' minister. You know, human philosophy tells us, and I hear this all the time, God helps those who help themselves. And in a sense... Uh, some of that is true. You just can't sit on the couch, you know. Uh, you have to get up. But, but the scripture here is talking about something else. It, it's talking about God helping those who help other people. And that was Joshua. You know, when you, when you go back and you review the life of Joshua, which I did this week, and found out he, how he was so energetic and so, uh, so willing to play second fiddle to Moses... Uh, and he was just so faithful, he led a battle against the Amalekites in Exodus 17. He was, the, he was, he was actually Moses' general on the ground. Uh, he went partway up uh, the mountain when Moses was going up on Sinai to talk to God in Exodus 24. You know, it's been said that we become, uh, who, we become as people, the books are determined by the books we read and the people we hang out with. Well, I'll tell you what, no wonder Joshua turned out pretty good. He, hanged out, he hung out with Moses. And Moses was the person who was the carrier of the law. He assisted Moses following Israel's repentance regarding the sin of the golden calf. He had a lot of history. And so I think one of the great, great things that was going for him is the fact that he was a servant. You know, you'll never be disappointed if you're a servant. You know that? You'll never be disappointed. If you want someone to serve you, you'll always be disappointed because people can't live up to your expectations. You always think they ought to do something nicer for you, always something better for you. But if your life is given to servitude, uh, you, you won't be disappointed. And, and Joshua was a servant. 
He also was a person of faith. Remember, he was one of those original 12 spies. Remember that story? And uh, he and Caleb went up and came back, and they had the, the minority report. As a believer, that's the report that you'll always have to carry in life, the minority report. Uh, the majority will be saying one thing, and you'll be over there in the corner saying something else. Whenever the 12 spies went up originally to view out the land, remember, they came back, and all of them were afraid of the walled cities, the giants in the land, and Caleb was saying, listen, this is a fabulous opportunity. Let's go in right now and take the land. And so Joshua, was, Joshua and Caleb, they, were, they brought back a positive report. They were willing to stand in the minority. Uh, they were willing to face the giants. Uh, and another thing I, I notice here in this passage of Scripture is God wanted Joshua to be indwelt by the word of God. And this is the thing that really stands out in the first chapter. It really does. And, and I hope that it is not too redundant. But this is a good thing for the first Sunday of the year. Let's look at verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance of the land which I swear to your fathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous and observe to do according to all the law. Now, Joshua didn't have as much of the Bible to deal with as you and I do. He had the five books of the law, and maybe he had the book of Job. And so God was saying to him, here, listen, take Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and maybe Job, and you meditate over these things. You, be, you become indwelt by the word of God. Digest the word. You know, throughout history... People who have made a difference have been people of the word. Psalm 1, 1 verse number 2 says this. Let's read it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now, I want to challenge you to become a person of the word. You know, I know it's awful easy to carry your Bible to church and when you get in the car, throw it in the window, the back car, and see if you can find it next week when you come to church. Don't do that, please. You become a person who loves and cherishes and meditates on the Word of God. I remember, I remember years ago we had a wonderful young girl in our Christian school. And she lived in a home that was, um, it just wasn't as functional as it should be. And uh, oftentimes she would say to friends that she was afraid at night in her home. And she had a real heart to love God and to follow the Lord. And I remember one time she, she kind of got open, real, and vulnerable and, and said, she said to another person, she said, you'll never know how many nights I went to sleep with the Bible on my chest asking God to protect me. You know, God did protect her. And she is one of the most outstanding mothers, outstanding Christians that I know today. But she was a person, even in her teenage years, who was a person who loved the Word of God. She loved the Word of God. And so I want to challenge you. You might say, you know, I get so distracted. I, I have so many things to do. You ask God, give me a love for your Word, Lord. Give me a love for your word, and all of a sudden you'll find out 
that God will answer that prayer because that's the kind of prayers God likes to answer. And, and because he said to Joshua, listen, you have to be indwelt by the word of God. And the psalmist says, listen, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Meditate in it day and night. You become a person of the word. And then one other thing here in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I was reading about Dr. A.J. Gordon. He wrote a book entitled, When Christ Came to Church. I asked Diane to order it for me. It was about a dream he had that a strange person came to church one morning. And as he was preaching, this person watched him all the way through. After the services were dismissed, Dr. Gordon asked one of the ushers who the man was. Did you know who he was? He said, he said that he was the Lord Jesus Christ. He then in his book reveals the transforming effect that grows out of a realization of the actual presence of Christ. I've always been stricken by the motto, Jesus is the head of this home, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. Uh, God said here to Joshua, listen, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I want to encourage you today uh, to carry that in your bosom. Wherever you go, the Lord is with you. When you're having those important meetings at your job, you just visualize the Lord being right there next to you. When you're traveling in an airplane, you just visualize the Lord there. Uh, when in the big things and in all the little things of life, you just visualize that the Lord is with you. And, and so jo the Lord wants to take us into the promised land. And a lot of times people say, well, that's a wonderful place. But you know, it was a place of battle. It really was. Whenever, whenever we decide to follow the Lord, we decide to take the sword, which is the word of God, and go into a world and use the word of God uh, to slice our way through this world. From battle to battle, Joshua says to these people, oh yeah, we're going into the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, but listen, we have to do a lot of fighting there. And we have to, first of all, face Jericho. And that is a very formidable opponent. And so there are these big battles in the land. But you know, that kind of challenges me, it really does. Because, you know, it's the land of our destiny. You know, I know that you can sit back on the couch and you can kind of go like this and twiddle your Christian life away. Or you can get the sword and go to battle. Now, that excites me personally. That really excites me. Um, in order for you to do any of this, um, you have to get out of the past. You have to put the past behind you. And you're sitting here in the church today and you're saying, Pastor John, I've been such a failure in the past. You know, the good thing about the past is that it's past. It's behind you. Uh, let the Holy Spirit renew in you a vision that maybe you cherished in years gone by and revive in you a spirit that will enable you to go into the promised land. You know, Joshua... The symbol of Joshua was a rod, but the symbol of, uh, excuse me, the symbol of Moses was a rod, and the symbol of Joshua was a sword. And so I want to encourage you. I gave you the Bible reading schedule. Uh, let's, let's all become 
lovers of this book because God will never lead us in the wrong direction. Let's bow bow our heads in prayer. As we wait upon the Lord and as we uh, prepare to close our service today, uh, this is a great day to, to open a new door into the future. Remember the vision maybe that you had one day and of, of what God, how God would use you and how you would walk for him and what a stand you would take for him? I want you to ask the Lord right now to renew that vision. Give you a spiritual revival today if that's what you need in the church. Just revive your heart, Lord. Just, just draw me so close to you and draw me close to your word once again. If you're here and you've, you've never left Egypt uh, and you're a slave to sin and to bad habits and things of that nature, um, come to Christ today and, and leave the world uh, and uh, let him apply the blood of, of his son, his blood to your heart. And if you're going in a strong, positive direction, I just, of course, want to encourage you to keep going. Because God's going to use you to leave Egypt and, and to take other people with you. That's the joy of it all. If you decide to serve the Lord, there will always be other people who follow along with you. And you'll be a good influence. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love today. And I pray that as we conclude our service, that our heart may be challenged by the life of Joshua. Oh, Lord, help us to be just like him, faithful in service, faithful in faith, uh, faithful in, in cherishing your word, the Holy Scriptures to our life, and to do those things which are written. In Jesus' name we pray.